Hello, and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, and friend, James Goad. And together, we're discussing the very weird things that preachers say, why they say them, and how they relate back to the latter rain healing revivals of the late 1940s through the 1960s. James, I've been taking a break from all things William Branham, <laughs> and <laughs> it, though it may not look like it from the audience side, we pre-recorded so many of these things. They've just kind of set and I've let them run out. It's, I, I can't tell you how many weeks it's actually been, but it's, I'm trying to think in my mind how long the episodes are scheduled. I think maybe it might look like two or three weeks to everybody else who's listening to these things, but <clears throat> I've been putting it on hold and wow, you got a, <laughs> you picked a doozy of a topic for me to come back with. <laughs> yeah. So it, this is something that, uh, most everybody who delete, who leaves a destructive group, um, experiences at some point in time. Um, and it's, it's the, it's, the vitriol that can kind of come from leaders and members of the group just it depends on how the group's structured and your relationship with the group and how much of it you may or may not see but it's it's very commonplace with a lot of people in their journeys out of these destructive groups yeah it's you know and all the support groups that i've worked with everybody mentions this is really the most shocking thing that has happened to them they never expected it because you spend your whole life making attachments to people and you think it's in a church setting where these are relationships that you think they're bonds that cannot be broken in fact they have songs <laughs> that tell you <laughs> that these bonds cannot be broken we're we have a special connection they say but the moment you ask a question in any one of these destructive groups suddenly you realize that those bonds are made of dental floss <laughs> they they can just pull and break it's not the chains that bind as they you know i've heard sermons like that that we're bound with these chains that tie us together and the the weakest link is where it falls apart so don't be that weakest link we want to stay together but you leave and you find out that I, I use dental floss, but I'll be honest, uh, I think dental floss might be very hefty compared to what bonds that they have <laughs> in these groups. <clears throat> and um, offline, James and I were discussing before we got into this, It's there's some pain that comes with this. And people like James and I who deal with this and try to help other people, we bear those burdens. So it it does take a mental toll and you have to take a break every so often which is why i did and i know that some of the people working with me are also taking breaks at the same time you go for so long and for me it was like gosh it was probably 10 years <laughs> and then you you just kind of melt down process it and then you get back up again and it takes the load off of people who are really really suffering and struggling with what we're about to talk about in this episode. It's one of those things that we're all, anybody who has dealt with these sorts of destructive groups and have left and is finding healing um, from these sorts of things, um, you are in a constant state of deconstruction and reconstruction because you're, you're, you're finding things that you're deprogramming from continually and then reprogramming towards better things. And then it's, it's a constant uh, reevaluation 
through your mental processes as you leave. Um, you know, I, it would be nice if it was just deconstruction and then reconstruction, but it always seems like the more you deconstruct and, and reconstruct, the more things you have to unravel. <laughs> and at the same time, if you're doing things like this, it also, yeah, it, 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 it increases the, the, like you said, the pressure and the toll. Cause you know, we're, we're trying to help and also help ourselves at the same time. So it's, yeah, yeah. It, it can be fun. <laughs> It is. And a lot of people are afraid of that word deconstruction, especially people who have left a destructive group and they've entered into a um, evangelical church that is very, very similar to what it was that they left. A lot of those churches, they are they have a fear of you deconstructing because according to the theology that's behind some of the groups, and I'm not saying they're all this way, but some of them, at least in the ones that I've experienced, the fear coming from the minister and the elders of the church is that if you deconstruct, my brother, you're not going to reconstruct. And for me, this is problematic, man, because if you go through a period of self-evaluation and evaluate what it is you believe, who you are, and you can't go back to that <laughs> because you have now critical information that you're thinking through. Right. There's a problem here, man, because you should be able to answer all questions and point to the truth. And if this is a God that is all-powerful that will lead you into all truth— well, he's going to lead you back even if you deconstruct. But many of these groups, th- there's this fear of people examining what it is they believe. And it's just so wrong. And quite frankly, James, it's that is the premise of what we're about to get into. The fear of deconstruction, the fear of thinking about who you are and what you believe. The fear is actually greater for the ministers who are making bank off of the tithe money. (laughs) The fear is if you think about what it is you're in, suddenly you're going to watch the analytics of the financial reports start to decrease very, very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times when you're, before you even start this path of deconstruction, you've heard a lot of the things that ministers or the people that run your group have said about people who have done these things. And there's always this boogeyman that is created about this idea of questioning the group and, you know, questioning what you believe. Um, and the, you know, like John said, it's always the fear of, you know, the devil's going to get a hold of your mind and take you further. You're going to be off into no man's land and there'll be no redemption for you. Um, and, you know, I've seen a lot of really, amped up and crazy examples of ministers going really far. Um, and I, I can see why the, the fear grips a hold of people so tightly. Cause not only one, you're deconstructing your belief system, which is very hard to do because it, it's, it's, it's ingrained into your personality at some point. And, and, and it's really hard to decouple those things and, and really start to examine that stuff. But at the same time, you have this fear and all this vitriol that's coming from these ministers to sort of reinforce the fear of not wanting to question the thing that's so tightly um, ingrained into your personality and in, in your being. Um, so yeah, this, this next clip or th- this first clip here is a, is a, pretty good example of some of the some of the worst cases that we've seen and some of the things we've examined vomit mire and dirt describes a lot of the former message believers vomit mire and dirt 
which is the abominable, the defiling. You see, these apostates are compared to dogs and pigs. Yeah. To a Jew, the two lowest animals in God's creation, dogs and hogs. What have they got? What have they turned back to? As a pig to its wallow. As a dog to its vomit. They're drinking again. They're running around again. But you're getting holy again. <laughs> dogs and pigs and... James, that just really makes me want to go back to this religion. <laughs> 100%. It's, it's unbelievable. You know... <clears throat> We, we need to preface this with we're not picking on any minister. In many cases, the ministers have been manipulated much in the same way that any of the people sitting in the pews have been manipulated. But the problem is the victims have now become victimizers. And this is a gospel of condemnation to anybody who is listening to this podcast and has never been in this and has just you know, curious about what it was and the historians that we're working with that want to see more about the mentality of people in it. They're all aware <laughs> before. I don't even have to point it out. You don't call people dogs and hogs if they leave your church. But when you're in a destructive group like this, you do. And <clears throat> the problem is that the basis for this type of theology it everybody knows it's destructive you can look at all of the different destructive groups that have either imploded or people have died and they all share the same similarity they are isolationist groups they strongly condemn anybody who leaves or anybody who doesn't accept them but the basis for this the framework that was laid actually predates the Lateran movement there was and we've talked about it some in our podcasts um with Charles, but we're going to get in a bit deeper into the fundamentalism of the, the American Christianity in the early 1900s. But there was this framework that was laid of British Israelism that over time began to develop and morph into what became Christian identity. And the word identity is key. People who are working with escapees of this group or people who are trying to help people escape, they recognize that a person who is in this type of religion, the religion and their identity become so ingrained that if you attack the religion, you're also attacking the person from the way in which they respond. And the problem is that is that's actually the way this religion was intended because it becomes a big, deep part of your identity. Now, Christian identity itself, there's a whole, it's, it's a discussion for another day, but there are many more elements to Christian identity. But at the time in which it was morphing, <clears throat> there was the notion that American Christianity had been invaded by communistic beliefs and that the churches were apostate. And so if you left this religion into one of the other churches, you then were apostate. And though even in its worst form back in the day, I'm not certain they would have called them dogs or hogs like it has developed <laughs> <laughs> into today's weird cult world. 
but they still would have had the same view. They would have maybe not said it, but they would have thought that these people, they're, they're going right back into their apostate condition. And that framework was laid prior to the Lateran movement's development. But then many people in Lateran began to adopt that theme. Yeah. And the, 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 the word apostasy and apostate, that's something that I was, that really started coming out as we started digging into this, as I started digging into the subject a little bit more. And I wanted to find a definition for that to really kind of drill down and see what was really going on there. And one of the best definitions I could find, um, talks about apostasy and it says the total rejection of Christian Christianity by a baptized person who having at one time professed the Christian faith publicly rejects it. Now, for a lot of people that deconstruct out of these, you know, cultist movements, um, a lot of times they find themselves back into a healthier environment, a healthier church. They don't just leave Christianity altogether. And I'm, I'm not making any judgment calls on however side you fall on that because I, I don't, I don't think any of it's productive if you start trying to judge people on where, where they land up on any of the stuff. But, um, but at the same time, when you draw with such a broad brush and just the fact of questioning, and then you start attacking people this way. Um, most people haven't even gotten through the process of finding out where they're going to land and you're already calling them an apostate, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So it's, 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 it's so militarized in so many of these movements where if you take one step out of line, they bring down the wrath of God upon you to scare you back in line or scare those who are still in from even questioning to even maybe looking at things like you did, um, that it really, it, it's, it really takes things to a very dark extreme to, to really start to use this sorts of language just from the fact that you're like, Hey, um, this person that I was brought up believing was a prophet. Um, none of their prophecies were, were legit. Um, that's a problem. And then you're like, Oh, you're an apostate for even questioning. It's like, ah, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. And one of the things that the minister said, do not cast your pearls before swine. I think that's really key to understanding the difference between what is a healthy church and what is a destructive church. Because in its essence, what is being said is that we have the true gospel, our, our thing that we're calling the gospel, and these people have left. So don't go try to share the gospel with them and bring them back. Because they're swine, we can't share the gospel with them. That's, in its essence, that's the statement that is being made. And this is, <laughs> James, you, you get to be the first. This is probably the closest I will come to preaching in any of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a preacher. I'm not a minister. If you want to hear me preach, I'm sorry. Go to a church and find a minister. I'll, I'll preface with this. <clears throat> but there are these lists, and you can find them on the Internet, of the signs of a healthy church. Now we have talked about the opposite when we talk about the bite model, which is the model of authoritarian control, behavior control, information control, thought control and manipulation and emotional control. But we've never really talked about the reverse of this. And there are these lists, you can just type in and Google signs of a healthy church and you can see very clearly is is the place that I'm going to on Sunday a destructive cult or is it a healthy church and 
I remember the first time I encountered one of these lists, I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is really, really bad, man. <clears throat> one of the most popular and probably if you were never in a destructive cult, if you are a Christian who is examining destructive cults, then you want to go to the website nine, the number nine, marks.org, and they have this good list of the signs of a healthy church. If you were in a destructive cult, this is one of the worst places you can go, and I can say it from my own experience, because this is written from a group of people who are in healthy churches who think they know how to work with people who weren't. And if you read it and you were in a destructive cult, you're going to be, wow, this sounds very authoritarian. They're talking about control and discipleship and the way it's written is not friendly to a person who is in a unhealthy religion. So while you're searching, if you're in one of these churches, you're going to see ninemarks.org. I recommend against reading it, but I did. <laughs> there are people who will read it. But essentially, there's a common theme among all of these marks of a healthy church. And one of the most significant, this is the one that blew my mind. I, I just simply had no idea. One of the most significant is a healthy church, a healthy Christian church, will have expo expositional preaching. And what this means is <clears throat> you will have a context of Scripture. The Scripture itself, it may be a chapter in the Bible. That chapter will be the basis for the sermon that follows. And every single aspect of the sermon will point back to that passage from the Bible. And that passage will be in the same context of the rest of the book that it came from. So if you're reading, I don't know, chapter two of the book of Mark, and that's your, your sermon, well, you would also take into the context chapter one and chapter three. It, it can't deviate from this. One of the, <laughs> it was eye-opening for me because in the, Pentecostal-style religions. I'm not saying all Pentecostal churches are this way, but many of them that I have experienced are. They will often take a word or phrase, and they'll build a whole sermon off the word or phrase, but they're not giving you the context of that phrase. And because of this, that context is so vastly different from the way it would read if you read the entire passage that the whole sermon is actually not even close to the chapter of the Bible that they brought it from. <laughs> oh, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so familiar with that because, you know, I, I grew up and, you know, we had the words of a prophet messenger and I do that in quotes <laughs> using the terms of the cult, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, and so you'd find the minister would grab this one lone scripture, maybe two if you're lucky, maybe one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, trying to trying to draw a an idea that this is a continual idea. And then what he'll do is then he'll grab a bunch of quotes from this central figure to try to, you know, strengthen this thought that he's trying to pull. And let alone that the very fact that, you know, <laughs> you've identified this ad nauseum in, in your in the main podcast, but the, the central figure himself, in this case, didn't even always agree with himself as he went through in all of his all of his versions of his stage persona. So, yeah. let alone they're still having to cherry pick what they're saying, and so they find this thought and they run with it, and it's usually something that they already believe or or, or trying to pull out meaning for whatever they're trying to do. And 
you know, if it if it stays close to a biblical meaning, then maybe it's not, maybe the end result isn't so bad. But most of the time, most of the things that are pulling out are destructive and harmful and hurtful to people. And uh, it causes a lot of pain and suffering in these movements. Um, and a lot of that stuff you don't even realize until after you're leaving because because the, the stuff is so normalized while you're there. And you're like, oh, this is just normal. And especially when they're talking about the apostates and the infidels and all these sorts of things, your mind is like, he's not talking about me. He's talking about somebody else. And maybe, maybe I'm justifying it by feeling bad for that person because I have a revelation that they don't. But once you start questioning and, and understanding the problems and the thing that you believe and you start questioning themselves, all of those judgments that you passed on these other people this entire time, all of a sudden start coming back to you. And you're like, Oh no, <laughs> I was a horrible person, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's one of those things that that's another thing that people have to deal with at the same time. They're getting lambasted by these ministers or ex family members or whatever, by all these, like you're an apostate, you've left the faith. You're, you're not walking with us anymore. You went out from us cause you were not of us at the very same time. A lot of people who leave are dealing with massive amounts of guilt for all the things that they're realizing that they believed wrong or the, the, the things that they put on other people because of the ways, because of the movement and how it instructed them to, to, to be and act and treat other people. And it's a very hard, complicated process. And that's why, you know, the support groups and stuff that are out there are so important for people because people need, you know, a lot of times it's a very lonely journey and people, people's journeys can be very specialized to themselves depending on the type of group they were in, the sorts of things that they encountered. But at the same time, finding other people who are going through the same stuff you're going through and have a shoulder to lean on and ask, ask, the, ask the questions you can't ask the people who you thought were your friends, who, you know, maybe were your family who have turned against you. And it's, it's so nice to have those sorts of places where you can like just lean on people and say, Hey, um, I know I'm not going to get judged here, but, uh, but what's going on here? Is, is, is there really a, a, a end time prophet that I'm supposed to be waiting for? Like what's going on here? And then, you know, and then you can get, you know, people coming together and say, Hey, you know, maybe this is what I think, or this is what I think this is what I found. And, you know, at the same time, there's no judgment. It's just like, Hey, you know, you know, just, just loving and creating a, a nice healthy net for people when that's the opposite of what they're getting from the places that they left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and more to the point, <clears throat> in many cases, they leave a very narcissistic minister mm. or central figure. And the way in which narcissistic personality disorder develops and attracts people to it, they create a condition in which there's a separation. They want to create a division in people so that they can essentially say, whose side are you on? Are you on mine? Are you, are you with us or are you against us, basically? And what they do is they ridicule those who are against whatever it is that they is their main focus. So these ministers, these central figures of the cults, etc., they have conditioned the people to be familiar with ridiculing other people. And while you're in the group, you think you feel righteous because you're making fun of people, which is vastly different than what the Bible teaches to do, right? Mm. <clears throat> but right. more to the point, when you leave, you know what they're going to do to you because you have done it to other people. So now you're left with this weird thing where a lot of people don't recognize it, but a lot of their fear isn't really fear. It's guilt 
because they have mm. ridiculed other people. They know they're going to be ridiculed and they have to now deal with the fact that, hey, while I was in this thing, I was very, very wrong. I was not a good person at all. And now I'm leaving. I recognize I was not a good person. Well, they're not going to be a good person to me because I just left, Yeah, <laughs> you know. But the other thing you said that I think is key, um, the whenever this Laterine thing began, William Branham was spearheading it as he was the leader of the revival. He was recognized as the leader. He showed many signs of narcissistic personality disorder, and he ridiculed those who weren't in the same camp. And so he conditioned other ministers and evangelists to do the same. And this whole network of making fun of people as part of your Christian preaching developed into a doctrine. And it was a unspoken doctrine. You won't hear a sermon saying, you must ridicule these people. Instead, by example, you'll hear ministers ridiculing all of these people who aren't, aren't in their group. And the preaching has become... Over time, it has become that instead of the expositional preaching. But worse than that, the, the leader of the revival, one of his famous sayings, which I've heard repeated in defense of his anti-biblical theology, is, I don't know the book real well, but I know the author. In other words... <laughs> I have no clue what it, <laughs> I have no clue what was in the Bible, but I'm going to be a theologian because all of the theologians are trying to fool you. And he doesn't even know theology, right? <clears throat> well, biblical theology is another key aspect of a healthy church, man. It goes hand in hand with expositional preaching. If you are teaching extra biblical theology, in other words, theology that is not based off of the Bible, it's the signs of a destructive, not a healthy church. And more specifically, if it's a Christian church, you're going to hear the gospel, which leads me to <laughs> the next point of the closest thing you'll hear me preaching that I'll ever get to in these things. But when I left this and I started working with people who were in it, that's the first thing that shocked me. I was in a church and they asked me, what is the gospel? I had no idea, man. I, I gave an answer. I gave an answer that I was conditioned to give from birth, and it in no way, shape, or form matched the gospel. And the gospel, the word gospel, just simply means the good news that Christ has came, he died on the cross for our sins, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. In its simplicity, that's it. There are no added rules. There are no dress codes. You don't have to have a Pentecostal <laughs> wardrobe. It's not the gospel, man. <clears throat> it is a very simple thing. It does not say that if you are in the elite group and you are not one of the hogs or dogs, <laughs> that I mean, it's so vastly different from what is taught in these things, right? So if you're going to go to a healthy church— you also have to have some at least basic knowledge of the Bible. And I think that's the real problem because people grow up in these groups. They hear these ministers saying these things and they assume that what they're saying actually came from the Bible because the minister said this came from the Bible. In the cults that I grew up in, they don't even say that. They say 
they half of them don't even preach from the Bible. They say the central figure of our cult believed that said that this is in the Bible, and then they preach a whole sermon off of two to three levels deep of trying to determine <laughs> where did it actually come from, and they never look themselves. Is it actually in the Bible? I have heard ministers quote Bible verses that the central figure invented for his own manipulation, and they'll say it's in the Bible, but they won't give you a verse or a book or a chapter because it's actually not in there. Yeah, and I've even seen another level of, of just just craziness where the you know and i think we've examined this in some of our other ones where where the ministers will say that the that the the prophet is in in this case this prophet is pulling things out of the bible that aren't even written and he's adding to and in effect he's adding to when you've got scripture that says no man can add or take away but you've got this prophet is 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 prophet is adding to this 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 bible and uh, bringing these things that are just you know without his so-called authority, it completely falls on its face because there's nothing else to back it up, you know? And, and that's the other thing too. You, when, when you believe these things and you internalize these things into your own identity, you have already taken a leap of faith in this to, to even consume this into yourself. And so when you go out and you get challenged, you have nothing to back it up with. And, and so a lot of times what happens is, People can take multiple different, they're, 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 they can, multiple things can come out of their personality depending on how their personality is structured. But a lot of times what comes out of people when their belief systems are challenged is anger, especially if they don't have a foundation to back up what they believe. And then a lot of times in these destructive groups, you don't, you just have the words of the central figure. And when the central figure is challenged, then you you have nothing else to defend it with because it's like, well, I just believe the central figure. And so a lot of times you can come up against a lot of anger. And sometimes I wonder if that's what's coming on when some of these ministers who truly believe what they're, what they're, what they're preaching and some of the stuff is going on is that, you know, you're, you're seeing some of this internalized belief structure be challenged. And, and so sometimes this is what you're seeing. Um, and this is just all speculation, you know, cause it's all up to the individual minister and what they actually believe. But you know, this also extends down to the to the people going to the church as well. And a lot of times, it's sad to say, but m the people in the church also take um, lead off of their own minister who's leading that congregation too. And if the minister gets very um, violent and militaristic in his words and his sayings and how he treats other people, then a lot of times the, the congregation themselves will follow suit um, in trying to either subliminally or intentionally line up with the minister or central figure who's leading that group. Um, so things like that can lead to further harm and further damage, um, especially to those who are leaving and trying to reevaluate what it is that they actually believe. Exactly. And it's really key to understand that these ministers are not trying to they have no reason to have a healthy church. They're in an isolationist group, whether they re recognize it or not. They're in a group that is isolating themselves, and they're not wanting to create an atmosphere of a healthy church. Instead, what they want to do is to create mental barriers or mental boundaries where the people are scared to leave their group. In other words, they're trying to hold it together instead of letting it implode which means that the minister themselves have a fear of implosion, which brings this to a whole new level, James. <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing about it is when you start examining 
the larger context of what some of these ministers are saying. And even if a lot of these don't even know themselves, kind of like where the logical conclusion of these things can go, when you start to lay it out, you can sort of see the potential here. And I think this next clip is a pretty good example of, of, of the breadcrumbs of kind of where some of these things can go. Um, but yeah, let's look at this next one here and, uh, and dive in. He would have been a man that abandoned the church. That's called an apostate, by the way. Apostates do not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why when people abandon the church, it's a very serious thing. They're ab- they're leaving the battle. It's like, we're fighting on the battle tonight. Are you fighting tonight, church? We're fighting here the good fight of faith. We're standing for truth. And those that abandon us are going to have to suffer for that. They're apostates. They're leaving the faith. I recently shared this image in one of our support groups, James, but <clears throat> it was a meme. It was comparing a healthy church when you leave versus a cult or a destructive group when you leave. And the top slide, I'll put it on the video display of this, but the top slide, it's we're, we're sorry you're leaving. We're, we really were happy to have you while you were here. Let's get coffee sometime. I mean, they were, they're really, really good you know, what you would expect if you went to a healthy church, right? And then (laughs) the bottom side, you know, after being out so long and having, having experienced healthy churches, it's just, it's funny and it shouldn't be. It's sad what, what, the way it's developed, but they were, you know, condemnation. You're going to, basically they're saying you're going to hell. (laughs) Yeah. They are cursing and cussing the people. I'll just say it simply like that. (laughs) And it really goes back to one of the other signs of a healthy church is membership. How does it work? Membership in a healthy church grows organically, not simply through reproduction. And in a lot of these destructive groups, they're real their only real church growth is we want you to have babies <laughs> and have lots of them <laughs> because they will eventually be giving me my money. <clears throat> they they don't set themselves up as a church that an outsider, somebody who you would want to and should be spreading the gospel to, would want to join. In other words, they see this group of condemnation and hate and Uh, Let's call it like it is, James. They see them as a hate group, and that's really Mm -hmm. what this is. There's so much – it, and maybe I see this more since I've left, and it just stands out to me more, but it really feels like I've seen a lot lately, a lot of focus in especially the group that I analyze, um, the Brandon Movement, um, towards the – towards the people who are leaving. And and I think, honestly, it's because that there is a – a lot of people, there's more access to information, critical information about that movement in particular due to your research and others how, who have given people a way out. And I think it is threatening to some of these ministers. And like you said, who some have their livelihoods built on this and others who it's just their core belief system. They're, they're the true believer. They are the zealot. And so it's a threat to their belief system, which we've talked about is internalized into themselves. And it's, it's attack on the belief structure. It's attack on themselves. Um, and so it's not it, from that standpoint, it's not necessarily surprising to see these sorts of things um if you know you get attacked the natural reaction is to attack back um but it's sad when something like this where there's a mountain of critical evidence that just destroys every foundational pillar that this thing could possibly be built up on and there's nothing left for it to stand on except the people who continue to prop it up 
out of their own will for it to keep going. Not because it's the truth, but because they desire to not be wrong or this thing that they believe not to be wrong. And so when you're caught in this situation, you're effectively cornered. And if just like anything, you know, an animal, if you corner an animal, it's things can get vicious. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's sad that when we come out of these things, we inevitably get caught in the crossfire of these people trying to defend and sort of to keep the, keep the, the realm, the, the, the kingdom that they've built for themselves together. And at the same time, you have to be so ostracized that no one can even be questioned whether they should even go see how you're doing or maybe take you out for a <laughs> cup of coffee because the fear of like, maybe your doubting spirit or your, or the devil that's tormenting you will jump on me just because I have anything to do with you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'll never forget when we first left the cult. I could go into a grocery store or a hardware store, and if I were to see people from the church and I were to walk in an aisle, they might be looking down at a product, you know, and as soon as they raised their head and their eye caught mine, suddenly that product they did not want. <laughs> Back on the shelf, and they <laughs> left the aisle, they went around the corner. <clears throat> My wife even had one of her best friends walk up to her and just turn her head. <laughs> I'm, I'm turning my head like this, and I missed the microphone. Turn her head like this, and then walk around her so <laughs> the back of her head was you know, to her face. And <clears throat> it's just so weird, man, that people – I remember in grade school – there were a couple of bullies that acted like that, but most of the bullies had more respect for humanity than the, <laughs> these churches. And the irony for me, you know, having gone through escaping a group like this and understanding how all of this works, when a minister is insulting people who leave in this manner, and I know from personal experience and from basically from <laughs> what I know from being at the top of this thing, I know that many of those ministers are fully of aware, fully aware of everything that we have shared. They know the problems with this cult, and they know that people are leaving because the critical information is overwhelming. We're not talking about one or two or three minor trivial problems. We're talking about fundamentally wrong things with the religion itself. And so these ministers, they know why people are leaving. They know. So when they insult us, again, it's coming from a fear that they're going to lose their sole means to make money, essentially. <clears throat> but more than that, they're instilling a fear of condemnation within the people in the pews so that they don't leave. And whenever they're insulting people who have left, they're, they're really not even speaking to those people because they're aware most of these people are not listening to them. I mean, I, we've examined these things, and <laughs> I've never looked at the things that you've shared. I've never listened to these guys. I don't, I don't like to listen to these guys. Other, if you had not shared this with me, I'd probably not know that they said this. They're not speaking to me. They're not speaking to you. That insult is actually intended to persuade the person who's in the pews that if they leave, they too will be insulted by every single person that they grew up with, every single pillar in their own support group. So when they insult us, it's not even to us. It, they're insulting people who leave to try to scare the people in the pews. Right. And we, we both know this from 
you know, we've both talked about it before, how, you know, we like, you know, healthy debates. And I, I've, I've engaged in, I've, I've seen some videos online where, you know, healthy, like Christian debates or skeptic debates and things like that. And if, if it's a healthy debate, it can be very informative and, 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 you know, you can, you can glean a lot from it. But one of the things that you'll see in, in a debate that goes south is usually when somebody gets caught in a spot where they're very ill-prepared and they have nothing to back up what they say. And so usually what happens is the debate goes from being about discussing ideas and defending an idea to name calling and ridicule and, 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 and it gets like hateful. And so usually when somebody starts reacting that way to the things that you're saying, especially if it's extremely logical and it's based by on fact, usually it's, it's, it's an example that you've already won the debate because the person has nothing else to argue with. So they're going for the hell Mary. They're going for the nuclear option to, to try to just win because there's no one left to withstand the, 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 vehement way that they're trying to defend their point, but they're not defending it with sound facts and reason. They're just trying to defend it with emotion. And usually when you've reached that point, you know, you've already won the argument. Right. And you know, one of the key differences between this type of anti-biblical church, this unhealthy church and a healthy church that's grounded in the Bible, in my opinion, these ministers who are preaching, they have either never read the Bible or they've never tried to understand it. Because if you read the Gospels and you really understand what Jesus is saying, even if you don't understand, if you simply read what he's saying, Peter, for example, asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive these people? These people are, have gone astray. How many times do we forgive them? Is it seven times? And Jesus said 70 times seven. So, in your minds, if you're one of the people who's on the fence and you're sitting in one of these churches, think about the difference of that. What if Jesus had said, yes, Peter, they've left the church and we're, we're not going to forgive them. We're going to call them dogs and we're going to call them hogs and we're going to scorn them forever, for <laughs> eternity. Right. But, but that's not what he said, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and the thing about it is, is even that particular verse, if if you in a in a fundamentalist fundamentalist legalistic movement, they would be like, okay, Jesus said seventy times seven. So when the person has needs to be forgiven for the four hundred ninety first time, then they're out of chances because by <laughs> Jesus's math, that's how that adds up. Yeah. Um, but the 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 intent of the scripture is to be like keep forgiving people. The, the number is just astronomical high. How many times could they possibly just keep forgiving people? Because that's what we do. We turn the other cheek, we forgive, you know, but that also leads into this next clip here where it's like, you know, the, the and we're sort of drawing a path here to, to, to how these things go. And, and you start to see the, the degradation that this takes as it goes through, because it just, it gets, when you go to its logical conclusion, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and you might find one instance where it's like, oh, well, that's not so bad. Maybe I can kind of see maybe where they're coming from. But then if you just keep letting it play through, it just it gets worse and the intention gets worse and and the destructiveness of it gets worse. But let's take a look at this next clip and uh, and examine. No, sir, the elect stayed with him. The same is happening again today. Many are leaving the word, but some are staying with it. Oh my, he was writing about you. But remember the parable of the wheat and tares. The tares have to be bundled for burning. These apostate churches are getting bound closer and closer together, ready for the fires 
of God's judgment. But the wheat is going to be gathered to the master. James, the irony of this episode for me, <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard some of these things. I, I grew up in churches like this, but the irony, the fact that somebody like me, I am the least qualified person to preach. I'm the least among all of you. Every, <laughs> sing, every single person who's listening to this podcast, I will tell you right now, I am the most unworthy, the, mo the least among all of you, right? The fact that I am the one who is telling, <laughs> who is examining these ministers and comparing them just simply to the books of the Bible, to what words of Jesus, the fact that I can do this, me who is the least worthy to do this, it shows just how wrong this type of religion is, man. I mean, think of Jesus. Right. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love. He said the, you know, the entire Old Testament is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself and love God above all else. It's that simple. If one of my boys were to suddenly decide they want nothing more to do with us and they leave and they start scorning us, they teach us, they start telling other people that we've done X, Y, or Z, I'm still going to love them with an unconditional love, and I'm going to try to restore that relationship. I don't care if they murder somebody. I don't care if they're in prison. While they're in prison, I am still going to try to help them. That's, that's the way a father's love is. That's the way it's supposed to be. Take that a step further. These are not just fathers. These are supposed to be the shepherds that is leading your, in, your soul into eternal salvation. That's their one job. And they're telling people that if you question me, if you question this faith, if you disbelieve in any way, shape, or form, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to do what Jesus instructed me to do because I don't believe Jesus. If you take it if you follow this all out to its conclusion, it, there is no other explanation. These ministers do not believe the words of Jesus. Right. And, you know, and the thing about it is, is, is when, you're, when you're brought up in a destructive group with a central figure, <clears throat> so much of what you're taught to think and in, in your entire thought process is around what does the central figure think and then if it's not the central figure it's like in the structure that i'm familiar with it's like what does the pastor think because the pastor's like a next step down from that all you know you could say and so there's little there's little thought on what do i think because you're taught that you are your thought process is 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 problematic and things like that. And so if you have a question, you're taught to lean on the minister's understanding or lean on the central figure's understanding. And the problem with that is you have to continually reject your own critical thinking processes. Cause a lot of times in, in, in a good situation where say you're questioning a destructive cult, your critical pro thought processes are trying to activate and trying to kick in, but you're surrounded by all this information that is completely not built critically. It's all built on this, these lies and this deceit and this, this entire uh, structure of trying to keep you pinned in and keep you locked into this group. Um, and so it gets really tough and, and really hard to, to do that, especially when you're, like I said, the entire the entire structure of the group is trying to keep you hin honed in on the central figure, whoever that is for the, this particular, for that particular instance. But, you know, even, 
you know, the New Testament talks about when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, <clears throat> I don't remember the pastor or the prophet or whoever is, is, is the central figure of your group necessarily being the spirit, the spirit of truth. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you learn to, it's okay to, to take a little bit more responsibility for understanding and parsing these things. And, and, and the reason why I say this, cause you know, talked about like, well, I'm not a minister and stuff like that. And it's like, we all have more to say and more to do than we're told in these destructive groups because they want to keep us small, isolated, pinned in to where we can't question. We can't, we can't read the Bible for ourselves and, 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 or whatever book it is that, that is part of the, that group. And you can't come away and use your own understanding or, or your own, um, you know, guidance to sort of walk through that. You have to have the central figure walking with you at all times and pretty much holding your hand through the entire process of understanding. And that is one of the, also one of the hardest things when you walk away is starting to have trust in yourself to be like, okay, I don't need these people to walk through this. I may, I may get it wrong but it's okay because <laughs> you know, I'm not going to hell because I'm literally trying to figure out what's going on here. And that is not evil. And that is not wrong. Yeah. I mean, essentially trying to suppress the ability for a person to better themselves. It really comes mm -hmm. down to that. And that's why these lists about healthy churches exist. Because if you're in a healthy church, you are bettering yourself and you're bettering others. If you're in a destructive group, they don't want you to become better. They want you to be under their submission. That's In essence, that's what they're teaching. <clears throat> Which leads me to the last two marks of a healthy church. A healthy church will support its people, but more than that, it will teach people to support people. And those people that they're supporting are not just the Christians or the elite or the people in their church. It is teaching people to be good people. If somebody needs your help, go help them. If somebody has no food, give them food. This is the way, <laughs> like the Mandalorian show, this is the way, my brother. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> Jesus taught this in the Bibles. I don't, I shouldn't have to say this. I shouldn't have to be the one <laughs> who says, come on, guys, this is how you be good yeah. to people. I shouldn't have to do this. But that's the way it is in an unhealthy church. People who they scorn who they condemn all those people are usually asking is just be good people that's it <laughs> you know a healthy right. church will teach people to help others but most critical of all is the leadership aspect every single one of these lists of what makes a healthy church will talk about the leadership a leader is a true leader a leader of a healthy church is a leader who teaches others to lead because that leader may not always be there. They could die. They could move away, get replaced. A leader teaches other people to lead and those people become leaders of other people and teach them to lead. And they're teaching an organic growth of goodness in a, in an unhealthy church. They don't want this. I remember sitting down talking to a minister who escaped the cult and he said, John, they did not even want me. If I 
found a passage from the Bible that supplemented what they said. They didn't even want to hear it. They don't want to hear any sort of spiritual revelation from any of the people who are sitting in the pews. What they want is the people sitting in the pews to give them praise for the wonderful thing that they said. And that's not leadership. Leadership would be teaching the person, yes, that's great. I'm glad that you found this. Now, this was a minister. This was not just your average person. But they would say, that's great. I'm glad you found that. Share it with other people. <laughs> you, too, <laughs> have, you, too, have the power to do good. In an unhealthy church, not only do they scorn those that leave, they scorn those that might become a leader and might set up another church and lead other churches. In fact, this is one of their... <laughs> Financially, it, it's not to their benefit, but this is one of the things that I believe, based off of what I've seen, these ministers fear most is that a person will rise up and be led by God to preach and might actually preach the gospel. But whenever they set up a healthy church, they're going to watch their own congregation implode because they know all of these ministers, in my opinion, they know that they are in an unhealthy church they grew up many of them grew up in an unhealthy church many of them know that they created an unhealthy church by example so if a person who's in their pews gets called by god to preach and goes and sets up a healthy church they're going to scorn that person who went and set up a healthy church that's how bad this is james yeah and it, it's man it's it's so sad because you know it it at one point, you can examine where you've come from, but another time it kind of hits home because we all still know people who are um, who are involved, who um, who still are um, in some of these movements, and it's it's tough because at the same time, as your eyes are being opened, you understand more and more about what you came out of and what some of the other people are still in. And I remember having a conversation with somebody that I, I talked to and, um, and I, I don't know if they meant, I don't know if they meant to say this or, or maybe, uh, so I want to give them a little bit of leeway here because sometimes, you know, but I remember when I told them that I was doing this podcast, cause I was like, I didn't want to kind of just hit them, you know, cause they're still in the group. I didn't want it to hit them, you know, find out about it and from a, some other source. So, so I told them about it and they, they made the comment. They said, well, I don't see a problem still being your friend as, as, as long as you're not trying to do something like come and kill my family or something like that. And, you know, what's sad is that I've seen so many examples of, of, of ministers talk about how, you know, these people would lead death camps if they could. The devil's going to get on these people and they're going to turn against us. They're, they're, they're the, they're the cane to our able, you know, and you hear somebody say that and they might not even realize what's going on, but they're sitting under, you know, ministers who are saying things like this. And it's just sad when you see that side of it where someone, even if that's not exactly what they were getting at, the thought that that's what could be leading someone to say something like that is very sad. And what will anybody tell you about any process that distills something down to its purest form is it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as it goes. So don't be discouraged when, when you say, oh, why aren't we growing? Why aren't there so many more people in here? Why do people seem to go away and not come in? Because the hour's late. The hour's late. There's not much left. 
There's nothing out. Brother Branham back then called him cannon fodder. How much more now? Hey, I got news for the apostate that are leaving the message. William Branham is God's standard and the voice by which your life will be judged. He is your prophet. He is your pastor. Amen. He is the standard by which God will judge every man, woman, boy, or girl. You don't have to like it. But it's, I, it's a vindicated message. And he's a vindicated messenger. So James, I've been thinking, how do we end this? <laughs> because you have enough <laughs> clips of ministers condemning people who've left. We could probably it's not hard go to find. <laughs> we could probably go on for the next year. <laughs> and the problem is we're gonna be saying the same thing. Come on, man. This is not the way. <laughs> this is not what yeah. this is not what Jesus taught. If you want to be like Jesus, do the right thing. That's if I if I were to give advice to these ministers, that's my advice. Just do the right thing. Don't don't do the wrong thing just because you have been taught by example to be a bad person. That's my simple advice. Be a good person. And I think the way that I'll end this, James, is you've got one more, I think, that we should play. And it's literally talking about using weaponizing loaded language against a person who leaves the vast majority of people who were never in this thing <laughs> they're not even going to understand it <clears throat> but let's take a word which is cannon fodder that's a phrase that was used by william branham train these ministers to scorn others in the exact opposite of the example of christ and they said let's call these people Cannon fodder means the people that do not matter to me. In other words, in the war, you send out a batch of people who you know their only, their only existence is to go die. They're cannon right. fodder. You're sending them into the battle so that they waste all of the cannons. They die. Then the rest of the troops can go in. That's what this means. And so you've got a minister who's preaching the exact opposite of what Jesus said, that we want them to die. That's, that's the worst of all of these clips. So I think the way that I'll end this, James, let's just compare what the minister says with what's in the Bible. And I'm just I'm picking some random passages, but you can also, you know, you can open any chapter of the Bible, but very easily you can type into many of these websites, uh, openbible.info is one that I like to use. It gives you a good lineup of quotes on a theme. But even Google, now you can type into Google and they'll give you passages from the Bible that you can explore and you can read further. But John 15, 12, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. In other words, don't think of them as cannon fodder. Don't think of them as a person that you want to die. Love them like I loved you. Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know people who have never set foot in a church who are atheists mm -hmm. who yeah. have said this to me. They, they exactly. were in a bad situation. They saw somebody treat them very poorly, and they said, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that you can be a good person. And... 
It's that simple. You go into Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. Look at any of these passages that is telling you how to be a good person from the Bible. And if you're a minister who is in this type of religion, ask yourself this question, am I a good person? That's all you have to do. <laughs> you, you can read, you know, up the Bible. You can read it yourself. Am I a good person? Is what I'm saying helping people? Are am I teaching them to be a good person? And I think if we examine ourselves, I think there's many people who can be who can find ways in which they can improve. Myself included. I'm not a perfect person. There are ways that I can improve. There are ways that I can be a better person and love people more. I think everybody should strive to love people more, not to teach each other that they're cannon fodder and you wish them to die. So if you have weird questions that you would like for us to discuss on the show, you can contact us on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For an in-depth look at the dangers of being in such destructive groups, read Weaponized Religion from Latter Rain to Colonia Dignidad, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. 